What's going on, everybody? It's Jake here with another episode of Career Talks. Today, I'm talking to Thomas Miller. He's a social worker with two businesses that he started all on his own. Also, big news, Career Talks is now in video form on YouTube. If you go to careertalks.co, you'll see the link to the YouTube channel. I'm super excited for this. All right, let's enjoy the podcast. So can you just go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners and tell us what you do? Sure. So uh, my name is Thomas Miller. Thank you so much for having me first off. I, uh, yeah, glad to, to be a part of this. I love the way, by the way, you framed this. Uh, I'm totally uh, uh, not going to 100% represent what you wrote, but I like the way it was like, hey, you know, uh, I want to learn more about different different industries and fields for myself and Maybe I'll get a job through this process. If nothing else, I'll, uh, you know, empower some other uh, uh, students to, you know, have a better feel. So, um, who I am is uh, I'm a couple things, but I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Connecticut, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and um, my wife and I uh, have co-founded um, two companies. One, um, actually three. Um, one is Innovative Therapy Solutions, which is a therapy and wellness uh, group practice. So we have sort of soup to nuts, what you could think, what you might think of at a traditional uh, mental health uh, treatment center plus, not center, it's a, it's a practice, but we have a clinical mm-hmm. team. We have a number of therapists. We have an acupuncturist. We have a yoga and mindfulness program. And then we also own Thomas Miller Coaching, where I coach um, families and parents pretty much around the country who are struggling with uh, a loved one's addiction, mental health, or just um, behavioral challenges. So I do family and parent coaching primarily. I also do do recovery coaching as well as executive coaching through that business. So Awesome. Yeah, I think yeah. something that's really cool is I actually just talked to Chad Amon, who was a designer at IBM, and I'm majoring in business, but it's really cool. I'm super excited. This is completely unrelated to what I'm majoring in, so I'm really curious to get into this. So how does one just start one of these companies? Um, well, uh, you know, I'm sort of, um, I guess, kind of old school. I, I think there's a lot of emphasis on building your brand, which is very important, don't get me wrong, and mm-hmm. I certainly try to build my personal brand vis-a-vis. Uh, I do a lot on LinkedIn, and, and mm-hmm. we're actually just jumped on Facebook. We're, like, totally uh, late to the game in terms of Facebook, but... Um, for me, it was a very old school approach in the sense of hanging a shingle in 2004. I was um, 24 years old and I had a full uh, nine to five job and it was a true, true uh, side hustle in the purest form of what a side hustle is, where I was renting an office um, in the evenings, running in as the woman who had the office primarily was running out and I was seeing clients at six, seven and eight o'clock and just built my performance, which is important to me, as well as obviously my brand. In a, at that time, there was no Instagram, there was no um, Facebook, and there was no LinkedIn. Well, actually, there was LinkedIn. I shouldn't say that. I think there was LinkedIn in 2004. I have no idea. Um, but I, I definitely wasn't on it. But, um, you know, it was a lot of old school um, grassroots word of mouth marketing. Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, we utilize, of course, uh, you know, all the social media platforms. 
but it's a it's a you know it's a long game i actually put a post today on linkedin about are you a sprinter or are you a marathoner and um it's in my field therapy field you know you you really need to build a brand and you need to you know treat clients and you need to build a pedigree and you need to build a reputation mm-hmm. and um obviously you can of course um try to maybe short game it a little bit with some of the social media options here but at the end of the day it's a lot of trust i mean it's a big thing when a family is sending you their loved one you know um who's in a really tough crisis or just tough spot so um you know people really want to feel like they're being held and have an affinity for what uh you're doing and we're a good story my wife and i in the sense that you know we've leveraged sort of the every penny you know everyone knows locally like if it doesn't work our kids aren't going to college mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like it's like it's a very local story you know uh mm-hmm. in that sense you know we're not some huge corporation we're owned 100 percent by my wife and i um awesome. we yeah we didn't we just so for us what we did is, again we didn't go the vc or angel funded route um we went with the just crush it and sweat equity for freaking you know a decade and just raise capital yourselves and we have some family and friends money we have a small business loan but that's it we don't we're it's us i mean we i've been through the whole you know being owned by somebody else uh, working in the for-profit industry and Mm. we just really wanted to design um our own you know philosophy which we have a very specific treatment approach and so on and so forth that's awesome and it's cool that you mentioned about kind of doing things yourself because i noticed especially for people who are just starting out in entrepreneurship i think there's this notion maybe from the social network movie or just from kind of the hype around silicon valley is that you have to have a ton of venture capital you have to be raising a bunch of money and that's really the way to go but i've kind of seen a trend correct me if i'm wrong of people who are trying to kind of fund things themselves um i don't know if it's a trend i think what happens which is why i love jumping on podcasts and actually having intelligent you know deep conversations as opposed to these very what i call bumper sticker conversations where the the dialogue gets pushed to the poles and everything is either the north or south pole i hear a lot right now that there's no point in um, building a company and you should only build your brand i completely disagree with that Mm -hmm. on the flip side i also see people like you're saying where they're going to create these juggernaut companies they're wanting to you know um leverage um you know so much money on the front end and so for us we just i rented an office at night i subletted an office you know Mm -hmm. a long time ago that's a low entry fee, you know, not a lot of friction, if you will, to get into the game and just built. We now own a building. So our third company that we created owns the asset, right? So we made gotcha. an asset asset and a revenue play. But if you can make a revenue play, make a revenue play, build a business. I mean, and the fact that we have an asset, um, we have one company that owns the building and we have our therapy and wellness in the building. We have we have some flexibility, and I think the art of being an entrepreneur is the ability to pivot and have that you know long game philosophy and be a speedboat where you need to be, but also be an ocean liner. And I think it's yes, you have to. You, we're not risk averse, but again, the idea that you have to, like you just said, you have to have you know ten million dollars or something um, to start, knowing full well that you know most venture capitalists what is it 15 percent? you would know more than i would mm-hmm. success rates like the first oh, what is the first less. venture it's less than that i think i from some 
reports I've read that, you know, you always hear like different metrics, but yeah, yeah I mean, around there, yeah. definitely small. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, I hear from a lot of millennials saying like, just build your brand, build your brand, because why build a company? It's probably going to fail. And again, I think it's great to build your brand because it's universal and your brand sort of can go with you. But the idea that you also wouldn't want to have an asset, I don't get that. I don't get why you wouldn't want to actually own something. And the other thing that I don't think people understand is that when you go to sell uh, anything, but especially in my industry, say um, uh, a, pr a practice, if you have a dental practice or you have a doctor's practice, it's really hard to sell if you not mm -hmm. have an asset attached to that because as much as our company is called Innovative Therapy Solutions, everybody in the county knows me because I've been, I'm one of, I'm the, um, you know, the, the co-founder, but I supervise all the staff and I was the one, you know, on the sweat equity side pers perspiring to build the brand over the last eight years. So people really associate it with me as much as I try to universalize it. At the end of the day, um, it's just very hard to just sell a company outright in, in my industry that's very localized and relational, if that makes sense. There's not a, there's a product attached to it, but it's not like we're, you know, we're not building a widget. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I think there's so much information about how to grow a company once you've kind of got customers and things like that. But I'm curious, I want to know like the very beginnings about how did you acquire those first 10 customers or 100 customers, however much kind of like the critical sum is. Yeah, it was all, I, I, again, super old school, a bunch of bagels, um, not kidding, you know, showing up at doctor's office getting, I mean, I have heard, you know, no again and again and again and again and again, you know, constantly chasing no. Um, and it's, it's relationship management and it's, you know, uh, having, again, um, some some marketing but really what i see people do is they put so much energy on the visibility and exposure side they don't mm -hmm. actually there's nothing undergirding that per se on the performance side so for me it was like give me a couple of clients let me perform let me do well let me let me you know represent on the value proposition side and then back that up right with uh relationship management so again to me i i'm just a big fan of sweat equity i mean i have um done every single thing in our company my wife and i i mean we've cleaned the bathrooms we of course now have you know a cleaning company and we have accountants and we have office management and we have um you know a biller and we have electronic health records and we have all these systems um but her and i did every single thing and i love that I, I i think that's very important yes systems help you scale but i think it's just important to really have that perspective um as an owner you know i've, I've walked in everyone's shoes in the company yeah, this is an awesome story, and I think it is cool how you really did. It wasn't just an overnight success by any means. It seems like you mm -hmm. it really just took years and years of hard work. And another thing that I really admire is that a lot of times when me and my friends are thinking of ideas, a lot of times we think really big, which is good in some ways, but I, I like that you kind of started small, so you started with just renting out an office space in the evening instead of trying yeah. to have the biggest office space and stuff like that. So that way you were able to kind right. of expand slower. Right. And I mean, I think there was there was a huge leap in the sense that um, there's there was a bunch of huge leaps. One was we went from part-time, you know, the side hustle to full-time. I left my full-time job. Um, and now we, we have kids too, right? Mm -hmm. So like, 
we are buying, you know, currently our company now is providing us with health insurance, but to buy insurance outright, which we buy now is unbelievably expensive, right? Mm. So those are things that um, are barriers or create friction, right? But that was a big leap as we went from a part-time practice to a full-time practice. Um, and and people, don't, people who don't understand private practice don't understand how much is even entailed in that. I mean, the clinical part is probably the smallest part. Like you're treating, you know, 35 clients a week who some of whom are, you know, suicidal and high risk. And I work with troubled teens. Um, mm. So I'm working with, you know, kids that are cutting, have eating disorders, um, mm. running away, engaging in substance abuse. So that that part in of itself is like scary to a lot of people anyway. So Absolutely. that was like, I could do that in my sleep. That's not the, none of that's hard. But people don't understand just even managing a practice. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing initially all the scheduling, all the billing, all the marketing. So that was the first leap. And then the second leap was creating a company and then bringing on staff, right? So now that shifts, right? You have to have, um, you know, you have to hire, right? The right, mm -hmm. the right people, create the right culture and make sure that it's in keeping with your vision because wherever you go, there goes your, your name, right? And your brand. And then the third big leap was we bought a building. Um, mm -hmm. um, so no, exactly. I mean, I, I don't, again, I hate, I hate these either ors. I just hate when conversations get like that. And I hear mm -hmm. that a lot. And I, I think part of it is about just creating a buzz and zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people want, it's a very noisy world and they're trying to create a, an absolute. And I just don't believe in that. I believe in divergent ideas. And there's, I mean, I work currently, I coach tons of executives who, you know, charge $8,000 an hour. This one guy I work with in his, you know, for his wow. consulting work. And you know what I mean? It's like, so I, I've treated my whole life, wow. the gamut and through my couch, so to speak, or through video conferencing, I've traveled mm -hmm. the world. And, um, you know, I could sit down with any CEO, uh, irrespective of the size of their company, and I could support them on raising their EQ and their emotional intelligence and supporting the culture. Um, and again, whether you were talking about a company with tons and tons and tons and tons of technology, mm -hmm. um, or we're talking about a company like us that, that does have systems, but we're low on the technology side because it's really, it's human capital. Mm -hmm. um, the challenges are ultimately the same and the risks are ultimately the same. It's just a large, you put a couple of zeros, you know, on the, on the, on the back end of, uh, of your spreadsheet, mm -hmm. you know, and it, but it's ultimately the same thing. I, so I don't get why it has to be an all or nothing. I don't understand that. That makes a lot of sense. And you kind of mentioned this earlier about how you've heard the word no so many times. You've been rejected so many times. Um, college students, I feel like as a whole, can find it hard to be rejected. You know, a lot of times we're applying to different organizations, getting rejected from those or applying to different jobs. How, what advice can you give for college students or really just anyone to try to help deal with rejection? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, again, I do, I do so much, um, obviously therapy and the therapy side and coaching on the coaching side with people of all ages. And there is a generational, I think, uh, you know, difference, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I was not, ex I mean, I, I was expecting to hear no. I mean, even when we went to a bank, we have a small business loan mm -hmm. and we live in the Berkshires, which is like uh, this super crunchy, super local, you know, community, which is great. Mm -hmm. Awesome, you know, fabric. And yet these banks are like, you know, even though everyone knows what I'm doing and they believe in or what we're doing, they believe in our mission. Uh, we were rejected again and again and again because, you know, we're, we looked risky. Mind mm -hmm. you, 
we just hit the two-year mark in October, you know, we're still technically in the valley of death because we're still a startup. Mm-hmm. We've never not, you know, we, we paid off our, you know, everything. We've never been, uh, we sweat payroll, don't get me wrong <laughs> at times. Um, but we've never, you know, we've never been, uh, uh, you know, uh, having to default on anything. But just to get there was was a harrowing process. So you have to be perseverant. You cannot uh, accept no. Um, the one thing I do say, too, to people is, you know, being an entrepreneur is not the only way to be growth-oriented. I think you have to be growth-oriented as opposed to scarcity-minded. Mm-hmm. But there are perils to this game, and I've seen many people crash and burn. And as a therapist, um, I bring that, you know, kind of mental health assessment to it. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, innate have some more propensity to handle risk than others or to handle that vicissitudes, right, of the game. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to be looked at. And I don't think people should be um, creating, again, these all or nothings. But if you are wanting to be in this game, you absolutely need to be prepared to chase no. You have to get used to it um, and make sure you're taking care of yourself and you have a support team. And like we talked about earlier, I wouldn't, um, I'm the biggest fan in like, you know, reach for the star, you know, reach for the stars, hit the moon. And I'm the biggest fan of going for it and all that. But at the same time, I think we, like we just talked about earlier, you have to manage your expectations Mm -hmm. and you have to delay gratification and, you know, constantly recalibrate. I mean, it's, it's really, again, you have to be hyper nimble. So I would encourage people to be prepared and kind of like inoculate themselves because they're going to, they're probably going to hear a no. Yeah. And well, let me, let me, let me turn that back on you. I mean, how, what do you say? Because you're, you're there. I mean, what's your headspace or what's your mindset or mind mindset going into this? For me, I think create, or I think like being able to hear no and being rejected is just something that takes time for me. So at the beginning of college, when I was a freshman, I was a pretty sensitive guy. If I didn't hear back from a job offer, I was pretty offended. But um, just from starting so many different things, I think just over time, it's honestly just kind of like a part of me now being able to, it's, it, like you said, it's, it's almost like you expect it. Like before, when I applied for every job, I thought I was going to get every job, which obviously you want to be confident, you want to be able to believe in yourself. But I think now, for, for example, this podcast, so the way that I get new people to come on the podcast is almost all through LinkedIn. So I send out dozens of LinkedIn messages a day asking people to get on this podcast. Maybe out of you know 20 people, maybe one or two will respond to me and we'll end up setting an interview up. And so through that, I've just been able to understand kind of my expectations, where things are, and being able to just hear no, because a lot of times, you know, People like in, for example, podcasting. Some people are just too busy; they won't, they just can't do it. So I understand. Right, but I think you know. I remember the way you approached me was 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 great. I mean, uh, someone recently approached me and they said, you know, I just I look at you and you're kind of farther along. Uh, they want to be a therapist, mm-hmm. and and I'm like a mile marker for them. And would I would I give them some time? And I just said, I would love to. I'm just like slammed right now. You know, hit me up in like two months, literally like uh, two months. They like hit me up again. I'm like, sorry, this is not a week. Like hit me up in three weeks. They did again. I gave them like an hour and a half of my time, uh-huh. um, you know, because I believe in sending the elevator down. I believe in mentorship. I believe in each one teach one. Um, and But the way you approached it wasn't super salesy and it was great and it was persistent. And like, I love that. And 
I don't, I hate ego and anyone who is uh, rating themselves based on an ROI of why they do something is very vapid and superficial in my view. Um, so no matter how small or big or whatever I am or are not, I, I, I just value these conversations. And I love that again, like you see on LinkedIn all the time, like college is unnecessary. It's so stupid. Don't go to college. Then you'll see people that will be like, you must go to college. You know, like we know MBA rates are down seven, like I think it's 7% nationally. Uh -huh. So we know people are not, there's a slight reduction. That doesn't mean college is useless. And that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that the only way to be an entrepreneur is to go to get an MBA either. Right. I mean, it's ultimately about standing inside your story and choosing your choice. Right. And owning that entire thread A to Z every step of the way. And whether you have an MBA and your daddy went to wherever, um, you know, and you're trustafarian or not, or you're, you know, jumping into it at 18, ultimately you have to own the hell out of it. Mm -hmm. I, you I know, whatever, whatever your journey is. Yeah. And one thing that I also took away is one, I really appreciate that, um, you're taking the time to do this and I really appreciate that you're buying into the mission and just a lesson that I've kind of learned throughout my entrepreneurial ventures is, um, I hope that I didn't come across as salesy because at first, um, if I would have no. started this two years ago, I would have probably tried to be super salesy. Hey, like use all these big words, but really what I'm trying to do is say, Hey, I'm a college student. I'm just looking to talk to people, learn from them. And I think that people really appreciate that when you don't, when you're not trying to hard sell them immediately, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you do something right away. Right. And I think number one, I mean, I always say to people, it's really funny. I have, I'm a, I'm, I work with people struggling with the disease of addiction. So in, in AA or NA, there's uh, an adage, which, you know, talks about when does an addict lie every time they open their mouth. Now, I obviously don't believe that, you know, that's a great way of, of viewing people with the disease of addiction. But what I'm trying to say is I work with highly manipulative people that are mm -hmm. constantly trying to manage my uh, impressions of them. And despite that, I'm able to understand really the strengths and weaknesses. And so um, it's always about transparency. It's always about vulnerability. It's always about authenticity. Number one, um, I could always tell when somebody is trying to posture anyway, you know, and it's, and it just is a turnoff. And on LinkedIn, the thing that drives me nuts is people will friend me uh, or try to make a connection and then immediately try to answer all my problems. Well, you didn't even enter into what I'm experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. You haven't mm -hmm. done a needs assessment with me. You don't know what my problems are or not. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I would be the solve for your life or vice versa is incredibly egotistic and actually cuts off the entire relationship, which is called the process, right? Which is mm -hmm. how we get to know each other. So that stuff drives me nuts. You didn't do any of that. I mean, you were super humble and you should keep doing that. Dude, you have a mattress in the back of your, <laughs> I can mm -hmm. see a mat. I can see a mattress behind, you know what I mean? Like you're, this, is that a college dorm? Um, yes, it's actually, it's a house. I, I live with 10 guys. We're trying to keep okay, whatever. Really cheap. Right. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. So like, why the hell would you try to front about something else anyway? And like, that's not even interesting to me. Like, like all I was trying to say about the $8,000 dude was to try to say like, I, I have treated, you know, all these, of course, from confidentiality, but I used to be the clinical director of a wilderness therapy program where mm -hmm. kids came from all over the world. We, I've seen Lear jets land right in front of me and people come, uh, from Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And I've worked with, you know, tons of, um, you know, uh, 
children, teens. Uh, uh, I, I was basically saying that, you know, anyone who's posturing, and that kind of drives me nuts anyway, like, you know, like there are people I work with who are running in these huge circles that are like having lunch with, you know, Tony Robbins and stuff like that. None of that stuff impresses me. What just impresses me is people that are heart-centered, authentic, and real. And I was saying that, one of the things that's sad to me in particularly in, in all industries, even, mm -hmm. even my own, like there's a lot of money right now in addiction. Mm -hmm. So a lot of money is being dumped from, you know, venture capitalism and it takes money to make money. I understand that. And to hire good staff. Yes. You got to pay people some lucrative salaries. So it's not that money is bad. I don't view money mm -hmm. in that way at all. However, it is always about authenticity and it isn't about projecting an image of success to me. You know, uh, success are the people who keep getting up. Success are the people who, you know, lean into failure. The success are, you know, the successful people are people who can have these conversations. So, so that's oh. great, man. Keep keep rocking your mattress in the back. I like it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Maybe I might have to do a scenery update behind me now that now that. You've no, it's that. all good. What's your? Tell me your big vision. What's your like? Give me what when you kind of think of uh, you know, where you want to be, what is that? What comes to mind? You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I think right now, um, I have a really big pa passion for marketing and, um, I, right now I have a really big passion for helping people kind of figure out what they want to do with their lives because I've been told for so long, especially in college, like just hang on to college because once you get in the real world, then you're going to be sad. You're, not going to have, you're going to miss everything, all your friends. And so I basically have become obsessed with like trying to figure out like, I want to make my, I'm, it might sound like egotistical and like I'm a millennial and all that, but like, I do want to try to craft a better real world for me. You know, like I don't want to just be like slaving yeah. away unnecessarily. Well, I think, uh, you know, do you listen to Gary Vee? Sometimes I do. I, I'm not sure how I feel about him 100%. So, so based on what you're saying, you know, Gary Vee talks all the time about, you know, if you want to be where he is or in that, you know, in that echelon, you have to eat shit right in your 20s and 30s. And basically, you know, if, if you have to live with 10 dudes in a house, right, or your parents or whatever it is, um, you know, eat some humble pie and get going. And so the thing I like about that, I'm not saying that's the golden calf that I'm uh -huh. chasing because I believe in a much more well-rounded, balanced lifestyle. Like uh -huh. my wife and I do work our butts off, you know, um, like I said, I worked a full day, got my kids from school, made dinner, ran um, uh, awesome. to the store, you know, did some work. My mm -hmm. wife would tag teaming. We're two ships passing in the night sometimes. Um but no, I think that's great. I mean, why would you be, there's nothing egotistical about wanting to work smarter, not harder. I just think you have to, you have to take what Gary Vee says, uh, I think to a degree, because it isn't, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is the way it has to be, but it's, there isn't going to be, uh, there, there are going to be tons of nights if, if you want to be in this entrepreneurial game where you're not sitting down watching your favorite show, put it that mm -hmm. way. You know what I mean? But Hey, maybe you, maybe you find a better way to make sure that adulting doesn't suck. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think adulting sucks by the way. I think, again, I'm, I'm not a guy who 
who laments and projects and displaces anything. Everything to me is choice. The faster you realize that, mm-hmm. you're fine. Like everything is choice. That's very good insight. Um, I, I never, I never say I. I don't believe in saying I have to. It's I choose to. Um, there are no again absolutes, right? In my opinion, mm-hmm. everything is choice. Um, and I think the faster you get to that, and the faster you just start, um, instead of the other thing I always coach my clients around is never saying why, right? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? It's always what or how can I do? So the question I hear you saying is like, how can I? Right, create a lifestyle that is more close to, you know, the vision that I have, mm-hmm. without necessarily falling into some sort of default pattern that has been laid out for you. Exactly. So, um, yeah. And now I kind of want to get more into your career, just in social work in general, because I think that um, some of my friends are in social work, and so I'm curious, just kind of like how it works. So you. You said you're dealing with um, a lot of troubled people or just a lot of hard, hard topics. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, I uh, yes. I mean, so I work with uh, my coaching business is primarily individuals who have like almost always as parents. So, for instance, just the other day I had um, a couple that their son is about to come out of a program. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day I had, um, or come out of a therapy program, return home the other day I was working with a family that's sending, um, their teenager to a therapeutic boarding school. So it's always looking at not always, but those scenarios, it's always looking at the family system and ostensibly kind of, you could do a SWOT analysis from a business standpoint. I do mm-hmm. a lot of business kind of incorporate business and, and mush it all together into therapy and, and or coaching. Um, but it's really looking again at what are their strengths and their weaknesses? How do we recalibrate? How do we reset this family back on a path to wellness? Because when you have uh, a loved one, whether you're 35 and that's your husband or wife who is in active addiction, or you have a teenager, or you're 50 and your partner relapses, the the whole system right becomes a part of, of that disease model, if you will, because it is a family disease, whether it's we're talking about mental health or addiction or both, or we're just talking about you know, a teenager who's sneaking out at night. It's very hard um, for that family to stay well and to stay up, if you will. So mm-hmm. my work primarily is to come in there and help them really take a hard look at themselves, liberate themselves, and create a path for, for again, themselves. If, I'm, if it's my wife or my partner who is using, um, as much as, of course, I'm going to be thinking and fixating a little bit on them or a lot, Mm-hmm. Um, I will work with that person to make sure that they're taking care of themselves and that their goals aren't being vanquished in the process of being tethered to the functionality of someone else. Does that make sense? Yes, that does. And yeah. I know that you don't like absolutes, but is there a certain personality fit that you would say kind of people in social work have? Um I'm very different, but um, the classic is like, here's the thing I guess your friends need to figure out is how the hell are they going to make money? Because the annoying thing about social work is it teaches you how to save the world, uh, which is beautiful and altruistic. And I am right there with them uh, on the bleeding heart side. Right. Um, But the pay is brutal. It's insane. Right. The um, 
and, and even trying to build a business within the business models of therapy is really hard because you're dealing with insurance companies, which are there primarily to make money for themselves, not necessarily mm-hmm. to serve, serve the client. So your profit margins are slim. Um, so there's a million myriad challenges, as there are, again, in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the archetype, I guess, is more of the... Um, caretaker, if you will. And so I would encourage them to take a look at, you know, how can they make sure that they are taking care of themselves and not becoming masochistic, which is sometimes a classic, the the healer, right, who doesn't mm-hmm. have good self-care themselves and is burning themselves out, you know, and becoming uh, crispy. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's a beautiful field. I love it. I, I love working with people. Uh, to me, it's a phenomenal major. I mean, you could throw me because of my experiences, I've been uh, a clinical director of, a, like I said, a wilderness therapy program, and I've been a family wellness director of a high-end addiction treatment center. So I've been in administrative positions. I, I ran a not-for-profit where I had to, you know, manage uh, 16 therapists and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a big budget. Um, but you could throw a social worker, in theory, into HR. You could throw them into a union. And, you know, you could throw them into conflict resolution. You could throw them, of course, into the what I'm doing, which is, you know, um, family work and, and uh, individual work, um, et cetera. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful, I mean, from a EI standpoint, social workers are, te- they tend to be much more self-aware mm-hmm. um, than say a business, you know, or counting, right? <laughs> so. um, well, I mean, yes, it, it, I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would, I would lean in that way. I mean, I've had, unfortunately, um, Again, it, it, it sets up a, it's an interesting parallel, right? You have these people who own a company who are the venture capitalists and the clinicians, whoever they are, have to try to educate um, that therapeutic best practices are, in fact, business best practices. And they shouldn't be in conflict, but unfortunately, they often always are, mm-hmm. which is sad, right? Because what's in the best interest of the client really should be in the best in- interest of the business. That makes sense. And so what kind of stuff are you doing on a day-to-day basis as far as are you talking to people mostly? Are you doing research as far as the best practices that you should be implementing? Like, Kind of take me through one of your days. I know it changes a lot. Yeah, it does change a lot. So like uh, today, uh, we have a school-based mental health program, which I love. And I actually am in a school, a middle school and a high school every Monday. And again, that's part of that getting your hands wet. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to lead from the back and allow you know, my team to come forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not about me hovering too low. I just, I love, I, I love working with people. I especially love working with these crazy teens that, uh, I just, I just love them. I mean, I'm like, it's just so much fun. So cool. uh, I learn. I, yeah, no, I, 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 we listen to Kendrick Lamar and we listen to, Oh my God, you know, um, everything under the sun. And, um, I, I learned great slang. So I feel, um, I'm not cool. I know that, but I definitely feel uh, more contemporary than I would be would be otherwise. Um, so that was today. But then I'll then you know be making a video and producing content for LinkedIn or for uh, our Facebook. We have um, about to start a YouTube channel. I'd like to move into the podcasting space myself. Um, my big vision is is more one uh, of doing a lot of more lot more speaking. But there's some weeks I do. Um, do kind of more macro work, like large work, mm-hmm. uh, speak to a bunch of parents about something, uh, speak to a PTA, uh, work train. I've just trained a bunch of teachers on how to utilize mindfulness skills in the classroom. Then, um, you know, working with my team, 
thinking about marketing, you know, thinking about, um, you know, where do we need to move? What are the new spaces? So it's always very future oriented, but every day I see clients every day. I have some supervisory role with my team. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's always, it, it's, you know, it's basically bricks and mortar plus vision. I mean, every day it's ostensibly, uh, the gamut of, uh, doing a SWOT analysis almost every day in your head and constantly trying to be proactive and again, moving forward, but also at the same time addressing threats. I mean, just last night I, I wrote with a lawyer, uh, our online privacy policy, you know what I mean? Like, well, I'll be writing one day, you know, uh, updating our policy manual. And then five seconds later, um, you know, sitting with one of our, one of our staff and supervision and, you know, supporting them. That's another thing. I mean, that's the other thing too, I guess, you know, I hear like the friends about, you know, wanting to find those, 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 uh, the next big thing, like you said, mm-hmm. and I get it. Not everyone's wanting to be a social worker. I totally understand. Mm-hmm. But if you can learn, any, if you can learn anything, it's the art of listening uh-huh. and, you know, just, just being present because that's the thing that people don't get that no matter what position you have or what you're going to be doing or how you're going to attack it. Um, relationship management is just paramount. Absolutely. And what's kind of a typical first job? It seems like social work, it's very diverse. And so like for business, it's a lot easier. You kind of know if you're majoring in accounting, you're probably going to be working under an accountant for your first job, but for social work, Yeah, it is diverse. I mean, I think, again, these adages may be slightly different, but I don't think social work's changed all that much. I really Mm -hmm. don't. Um, You know, as crazy as the sound in this person I spoke to the other day that I I told you about that has been stalking me um, in a good way. Um, I gave them my time and I was like, dude, jump into the trenches. And they were like, nope, not going to do that. I was like, I hate to sound like the 39 year old guy, but I think you're going to, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot. I just Uh don't think, I just don't think you get to a place where like, I mean, I hung a shingle at 24 years old as a private practice. Again, the side hustle every day in the beginning, I woke up like thinking my face would be on the cover of the newspaper saying like, there's Tom Miller. He's a hack. Like he doesn't deserve to have a private practice. So private practice is still kind of viewed as like a big thing, right. To own Mm -hmm. your own practice. And, you sort of have that sense of freedom that you're talking about in terms of your lifestyle. Um, you get to, but this person was like, Oh, I want to only work with, you know, the clients I want to work with. And I was like, you know, you got to work with everybody. In my opinion, I just believe in that. I think it's a wide mouth funnel work with everything, like be in the trenches, don't get burnt out. Um, but doing wilderness therapy, like the, I did it for three years and um that's like burnout city like bunch of troubled teens here's a 40 pound pack and you're sleeping on the ground at 10 degrees and you're in our cabins at nine like wow super yeah super entitled kids that one kid never even tied their own shoes and had servants do that and now you're hiking like 10 10 miles right so the coolest thing about that job was like I didn't have to make every decision, but I was a clinical director and there was no one to call. And I was 28 years old and I did it for three years. And I had, we had 65 teens, you know, outside sleeping on the ground pretty much most of the time. And you got to like make decisions, you know? So that was the greatest experience I've ever had. Um, After that, like working in a 
private practice or something. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, you know? So I don't know if this is answering your question, but I just think someone should, the, the other, the, the other thing is people overthink it. Like you just got to do, you got to get quiet up here and like, you know, go take a job for two years and then like take another job for three years. Like why? I, that's the thing I don't get about millennials. Like all the, all the, uh, millennials that I coach, um, mm-hmm. I say to them all the time, like I could never be 22 again. Like you have an opportunity that I will never, ever have again. Uh-huh. Like, why are you getting so paralyzed by fear? Like just freaking go do like, what do you have to rent? What do you have to lose? I don't, I don't understand that. Like, you know what I mean? Someone who's mm-hmm. 59 has a hell of a lot more to lose. And actually a lot of entrepreneurs, one of the risks they run into is getting conservative as they get older. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to think why that is from my perspective. I think one thing I hate to, sometimes I hate when people all like just blame everything on social media, but I do think maybe just like the, the internet, just, I, oh, absolutely. I it's all instant gratification. Yeah. yeah. And I, I constantly see people who are successful, like more than you don't see on your feed. The most popular things aren't some guy who's like, I've been grinding I've switched jobs. This oh, no one, no one likes my story. Totally. I mean, mm-hmm. and, but it's funny if you look at, I jumped on LinkedIn like seriously about a year ago and, and really, 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 really seriously six months ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about followers and all that crap, but like it, it got to the point where I couldn't even respond to all the people tagging me and everything like that because I just grabbed my phone. I have my phone and I shoot my videos on my phone uh-huh. and I will never, ever run out of content mm-hmm. because I just have life experience and mm-hmm. been, like I said, I, I ran, I marched in the gay pride parade six times because I was the director of a LGBT center for teens for mm-hmm. five years. Love that. I then worked in uh, ran a bereavement clinic. Cause again, I was like, I don't know anything about bereavement. I'm going to go do that. Um, I was like, when I took over the LGBT uh, program, first mm-hmm. thing I said was like, I don't know anything about transgender, like nothing. I know mm-hmm. I'm good with the whole lesbian gay thing, bisexual thing. I'm the director. I got to get some education. Went to all these transgender trainings overnight. Mm-hmm. I'm like doing trainings for like a hundred psychiatrists on like how to work with LGBT clients. So like, again, wow. that's just like, you have to constantly be like, all right, here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. I'm going to move toward the crap. I don't know. You know, it's just like people overthink it, but you're right. Everybody is unfortunately selling you as in the consumer, uh-huh. this instant gratification, in three months, like I love these people on LinkedIn who are like, I made a hundred K in three months on LinkedIn. Like, okay, talk to me in a year. You know what I mean? Because it's not just some of the stuff that they're doing on LinkedIn or those types of situations are people are just filling little gaps. Eventually people like myself are going to get my own DQ up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? My D my DQ is lower than your DQ digital quotient. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That makes Does sense. that make sense? Uh-huh. But my, e- but my EQ like you can't, you can't not you personally, I'm not saying this about you versus I, but somebody who's only hitting the DQ side, they can never catch me on, on, on this side. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like do both, like, like do both. And like, I, I, we just, we now have a person who's helping us with sales funnels on Facebook. I don't know any of that crap. I don't need to know any of that crap. You know what I mean? Like that's actually the, that's actually, that's a good thing. Like every day I try to be the dumbest person in the room and fill in with SMEs, subject Mm -hmm. matter experts around me. You know, it's like, I'm not going to sweat that. So anyway, I shoot these videos on my phone and people, they resonate with people and people are like, oh my God, you're doing native video. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, I just (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, I Uh just, 
I'm like walking in the woods and I'm like shooting a video and they're like, Oh, I love the way it's like so authentic. And I'm like, I, I just being me, like, you know what I mean? Like it's funny. So all that crap will just, it will eventually be torched. Yeah. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I, I agree. And, um, so I've done probably seven or eight. I honestly don't know how many interviews I've done, but I've done quite a few. And I think the one common thread that has kind of been, Every single person has said this, and one pattern that I've recognized is that you are all constant learners. Like I think yeah. every successful person usually is just they realize that they don't know everything, and so they're constantly, like you said, I love the example that you gave about the like trying to f- learn more about dealing with transgender clients, and right. So yeah. that's awesome. But it's a, it's the same thing in wilderness. We went on. Uh, my wife and I we drove up. To, it was in the Adirondacks, uh, which is um, upstate New York, like on the border of Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were approached by a recruiter. I was approached by a recruiter and the whole thing. And none of that had to do. I mean, this is, again, pre-LinkedIn or pre-social media. A recruiter, I don't even remember how the hell a recruiter found me. I don't even know because I wasn't on whatever. Mm-hmm. But they approached me and they're like, would you be you know, the clinical director? Would you think about it? Not they weren't hiring me, but you know, think about it, go interview. And on the interview, they're like, what do you know about wilderness therapy? I'm like, I don't know shit. Like, you know, they're like, they're like, how many times you gone camping? I was like, zero. Like, I'm like, I was like, I'm from Long Island. Like, I don't, we don't camp. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? So, but it was exciting because it was like, that's really cool. That's another, right? Like little, little feather. So again, going back to your story for what is, should a social worker do? I think that's true of anybody. I mean, like, why wouldn't you as an accountant go and see the old school traditional model, then try five seconds later, your own thing or try your own thing first, right? Then eat some humble pie and realize maybe, you know, you do got to grind a bit and whatever, uh-huh. uh, or make some hybrid in between. Because like, I don't, I don't, I just, the thing that kills me about young people is like the pressure and it scares me because it's like bots teaching them to be bots going into the workforce to be bots. Like, why do you not like, and the thing, the thing that I love all the time is I'm always, I always say that like when I do life coaching or, 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 you know, with, with young people, I'm like, no one cares. No one cares what college you went to. Nobody cares who your daddy is. Nobody cares. Like what I just like, I don't, I can't even tell you the last time I've ever told anyone where I went to undergrad or graduate. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've mentioned that in 10 years, probably 15 actually. Like, where did you go? That doesn't, uh, I went to a crappy undergrad uh no one's listening uh no no offense to uh cw post college long island university um the great thing about that is i met my wife nicole at 18 we started dating which is crazy yeah freshman year yep and one thing i'll tell you real quick about that is i was i went to that school because they had a phenomenal photo department and a good soccer team and i was on a soccer scholarship Mm -hmm. and went there for photography you fast forward three years later, I quit the soccer team, which is like mind blowing because I was on a scholarship and played since I was four, still play now uh, at 39. That's and awesome. um, yeah, and just tore my ACL, which sucks. But um, but quit the you know quit the soccer team because my wife and I fell in love with doing all this community service work. We got involved in this campus. Uh, organization, which then that got me involved in teaching uh, uh, ESL kids at a mm-hmm. local school how to how to read, which then blew my mind. And overnight, I switched from photography to social work because so I was like, I gotta, 
get this camera out of the way and just like be interfacing with people directly and wow. boom, there's my thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, how, like, I don't know. That is life to me is like evolution and like why I would like wear cement boots and like start overthinking everything. That's crazy. That's crazy. Like these people, I love these people who are like, I have a 15 year plan. Like we have a 15 year plan too, but our 15 year plan has changed probably like 35 times. You know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't mean that we're scatterbrained or that we're not, uh, or have ADHD. Like we know where we're going, you know, we're going to get there. Um, but to me, you have to, again, you have to dance. You have to know how to pivot. Yeah. And go ahead. No, no, no. And the, the the one thing that kills you kills me that I'll own is the is uh, sorry I gotta plug in my phone here no um, is the mo the moment I think we've hit a plateau and I'm like ah here we go right smooth sailing winds at our back immediately the moment I say that some some unforeseen disaster happens and and that's that's just business that's business like you know it's just like. Yep. something happens yeah i agree and we're we have a few more minutes wrapping up things here so you've mentioned a lot about being active on linkedin um i just kind of started getting active on linkedin because of the podcast but i would like to hear more about how you think if you have any insight on like how you think students or really anyone should be using linkedin because it's i think i, I think everyone should jump on linkedin linkedin is great and the funny thing about LinkedIn is it's still um, – it's not 100% a spectator sport anymore. Um, there are people showing up on the field. Um, but I've been on LinkedIn probably like, I don't know, maybe three, four years. But in the past year, maybe even more than the past year, super active. Um, I took Gary Vee's advice of dropping $1.80. That means 90 times you drop two cents on mm -hmm. the platform to heart, and I did that. And I like live in the comments. That's just what I do. Mm -hmm. um, I do produce videos. Uh, video came out in October, just hit a year. Mm -hmm. And um, Goldie Chan, who just hit like 300 um, videos, I think she has the most produced. Um, I think I have, I don't even know, 35, maybe even 40. Um, but so, you know, someone who jumps on today, mm -hmm. Um, they're not even that far away from the person who has the most videos. You know, does mm -hmm. that make sense? But yeah. to me, I'm not saying you got to produce a video every day. I actually, that turns sometimes turns me off when it's, you know, over too much. But, but the idea is that you just got to start just like mm -hmm. we talked about earlier. Don't overthink it. Okay. Just get going. Yeah. But to me, if you, if you can do nothing else, don't approach someone like myself or someone with even who has a million followers because I don't have a million followers um, and immediately say, uh, I want to sell you a bunch of crap because um, that's just annoying. And so I would uh, true engagement, like true engagement, like, you know, and, and you got it. You have to give, 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 then ask. You know what I mean? I like that. I, like you, you, you just asked, you didn't give me anything, but that's okay. But you, but, this is a cool conversation. You gave me something tonight. You know what I mean? I understand that. And okay, LinkedIn, I don't know like how it's viewed like for adults, but for me, a lot of times LinkedIn was is just, especially two or three years ago, I thought of it. I just have to, my teacher told me to get a LinkedIn, put my resume on there. 
put a right. nice profile picture and then just leave it there. Why is that right. not true anymore? Why is it something more than just It's uh, it's totally not true because of I, I can honestly say because of I could t- take like point zero 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 one percent of this right because I I'm a big believer in community and what we're doing right now is creating community. And if it wasn't for LinkedIn, this conversation wouldn't be happening. I wouldn't have met you and I wouldn't have met so many other people. And so um, probably a year ago was the first time I actually took a relationship offline. I, I DM somebody and was like, dude, I love your stuff. And we just started talking. I was like, here's my cell phone. And I remember it was really funny. Someone was like, you gave someone your cell phone on LinkedIn. I'm like, yeah, like first off, my cell phone is actually on my LinkedIn profile. Um, because as a private therapist, I'm, uh, you know, so yeah. used to, you know, my, ther- my, my, uh, cell phone being out there, but that's can be scary to somebody, but that is the power of LinkedIn is building this beautiful community of, you know, uh, people who are also tend to be growth minded. There's still a bunch of idiots on, on the platform. There's still a bunch of people that are, you know, again, just trying to make a deal or monetize as the mm-hmm. primary goal. And whether they state that or not, it comes through and people like myself can smell them a mile away anyway. Um, obviously, I want at some point um, to have a better, just like you, lifestyle for myself and my family and my grandchildren. Um, but I'm not on LinkedIn as the sole reason is to monetize. I'm on LinkedIn to meet people like yourself that are growth oriented. Mm-hmm. And I view it as I'm a gold miner. Every day I sift through LinkedIn looking for a piece of gold and somebody that can open my eyes to some new way of thinking or has a key that I may not have. And I like a perfect example is right across the street from us. Mm-hmm. Our, our neighbors have 35 acres. We have six. Our neighbors this way have 11 and our neighbors that way have 10. The point of that story, mm-hmm. not about numbers is we live in a, my neighbors are sheep right across the street are sheep mm-hmm. and, and cows. Right. Yet I'm talking to you in Texas and I'm, driving up to uh, a LinkedIn unplugged in Ottawa uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, uh, which Sweet. is it's Thursday night. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is my first LinkedIn local. And the only reason I'm doing that is because the guy hosting it, Jay Andrews is uh, an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian Schulman's going to be speaking. And I know all those guys. And that's because just like you and I are doing right now, you know, we're kind of like the metaphor of being in the trenches, you know, we're paying dues, Right. We're building currency. Mm-hmm. Don't come and don't. And, and the idiots on LinkedIn, they try to make a withdrawal without putting a deposit. So it's an amazing opportunity to really build a solid network. Facebook to me is um, it, it, it's I hope LinkedIn doesn't become as uh, co-opted, if you will. Mm-hmm. But Facebook is is definitely, I think, a great area to mine as well and to be present on. And you have to be and you have to be on. You have to be where you can't be everywhere. But to mm-hmm. the extent you can be, you try. You try to the extent you can be, you know, we're not on Instagram yet. We need to get on it. We're going to move into that space. Um, but you know, to me, LinkedIn is just all about authenticity, heart growth and opportunities again, to meet amazing people that can support uh, your growth. And now you have all these people essentially working in concert. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that mindset. And I, I've found that with LinkedIn too. And I was really skeptical at first. I'm a very skeptical person and so at first I really thought LinkedIn was just kind of like a bunch of people trying to sell you stuff but it's turned into something bigger and I know that we're running out of time but the last question that I always like to ask is um, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given um, 
That's a good question. Um, the best piece of advice uh, was given by, I'd say, my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur. We don't have time to talk about him, but he uh, he started a chocolate molding company. Uh, okay. They made molds, not chocolate, and the molds for chocolate. Interesting. Um, and his, his advice was keep going. And I end a lot of my uh, comments with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very long game. Like, I, I've been in it since 2004. I'm going to be in it until I shut off the lights. Like, I am not going anywhere. I'm a marathoner. And so, again, I just don't get why people are putting so much pressure on the first thing out of the gate has to be successful or amazing. I don't understand that. Um, it's just, to me, a little quarter turns here and there, incrementalist. Next thing you know, it's like, you know, it's funny. You ever go up to someone who's like 65 and you go like, how did you get here? Mm-hmm. You ever like interviewed someone? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> yep. and, and they're not, they're not being crass. It's just like, literally there was like 10 million machinations that have happened and transpired that they can't even point out with singularity one thing mm-hmm. you know like the how the how i built this you know on npr which is a good mm-hmm. podcast Great as well podcast. not 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 as good as yours not as good as career but, talks uh, thank you yeah 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 but um but you know it's like they give you this kind of cogent advice um but that's because they're still more proximal to their original journey does that make sense i 100 percent agree when, when you're when you're 65 like when i'm 65 like i'm not going to be able to tell you down to distill down to its essence i'll give you broad brush you know uh reasons or, or answers but um yeah you just got to keep going that's my whole thing best advice just keep going don't give up own the hell out of your story don't blame shift i can't stand blame shifting make everything your responsibility sweet well you just dropped a ton of wisdom i'm super excited 